0: This podcast features discussions around potentially triggering material, such as the alt-right, Nazis, misogyny, and trauma. Please consider if this is the right podcast for you to listen to. Also, a disclaimer, please do not consider the contents of this podcast praxis for trying to address these problems, and also don't try and address these problems if you're not in a good place to do so, or it would affect the safety of yourself or others. Thank you. It's maybe 30 minutes after game night. You're doing a post-mortem with your regular table over a messenger, or after cleaning up plates and glasses from the drinks and the snacks. All in all, it was a good session. Everyone had some fun. There were some pretty audible groans at some of the puns that you and others came up with. All good so far. The only problem is Robbie. Robbie joined your table a few sessions ago, after you met him at your FLGS, or Friendly Local Game Store. He seemed an okay kind of guy, a bit quiet, a bit shy, maybe a little too quiet and shy, like someone who needed help coming out of his shell, or someone who didn't learn how to make friends in high school. When you were playing with Robbie at the table in the one-shot that you ran, he told you he hadn't been in a campaign for ages. Since you were about to start one and had room, you figured it would be okay to invite him. Everyone else was pretty chill with the idea and figured, yeah, let's, let's have this guy over. You session zeroed, and Robbie seemed a good fit for the group. Not too intrusive, a little hesitant to contribute to the table. Again, you figured he was shy, socially awkward, and wanted to get a feel for the social dynamic before making waves. A few sessions in, though, and Robbie is integrated pretty smoothly with the group. He talks, laughs, generally gets in on the ribbing and kidding you all give each other. He's a pretty decent role player, too. He engages with the world you've built and with the other player characters. He has some great backstory. It's good times. That was until tonight, though. Tonight, something happened, and, well, you're not sure where it came from, or really, how to deal with it. Two of the PCs had an argument. Robbie was involved, and between the two characters, things got heated, and Robbie's fighter said something that was considered pretty damn close to crossing a line. Things stopped for a brief second. Sure, it was tense, and pretty damn close to becoming something far more serious. But you all stepped back, had a drink, a snack, and then Robbie and the other party shook hands after Robbie apologised. He was a little defensive, but given the reaction, you think a little defensiveness is not exactly justified, but understandable. The night was pretty smooth from there on, although Robbie was a bit quieter and more restrained. So right now, you're just messaging back and forth with the other members of the group. Just checking in to make sure everyone really is okay and and still cool. So far, everyone is. Except for Robbie. Robbie is still feeling a bit tender about the whole thing. And so you let him know everything is okay. Every table has moments where things get a little tense. No big deal. Just try to keep it in mind. Robbie takes a while to get back to you. You watch the three dots, flicker, stop, flicker, stop. Robbie takes a while to send a reply. You read it with a growing sense of trepidation. So, you're on their side? Hi, all. My name is Josh, and I'm a dungeon master and podcaster. I currently run Nerdy People Play D&D, which is an actual play, and uh, Better Homes and Dungeons, which is all about design and how to roleplay and approach TTRPGs, or tabletop roleplay games, better. This series will be a limited episode series focusing directly on how TTRPGs like 5th Edition Dungeons & Dragons, Call of Cthulhu, and Tales from the Loop can help us stay connected with people and how those connections can keep us healthy and away from being radicalised by groups like incels, MRAs, or white nationalists. A few caveats and other bits and pieces here. I am not a psychologist, a doctor, or anyone really qualified to have an opinion on a lot of things I am talking about. But I read a number of books, articles, and I ask people who are qualified to put together the information you're going to hear. I do have a degree in sociology and political science, but it's only really enough to give me a very basic academic framework to work with, as well as having a basic understanding of a lot of the subject matter. I also want to say that this game was not written specifically to advertise any games, or shame anyone based on their game choice. In this episode, we're going to look at some defining of the terms that we're going to be using throughout the series, and have a brief discussion around the term radicalization, what it means, how it happens, and how to derail that process. We're also going to look at some pretty basic elements of table etiquette, consent, safety tools, and also some tips on how to have an approachable but safe table. So Let's talk about radicalization. The most basic definition of radicalization is from the Oxford Dictionary, the action or process of causing someone to adopt radical positions on political or social issues, By radical, we often mean beliefs that are unable to accept the nuance and complication of the world in which we find ourselves. This also holds true for conspiracy theories. Um, I think they're a very particular form of radicalization. Um, We might get into that a little bit later more, but yeah, it's interesting. Now, that is maybe a little unfair uh, because the world is extremely complicated, as are the people in it. Uh, But the most important and terrible aspect of this radicalization is the core belief that some people aren't as human as other people. I'm going to put another caveat in here because I think this is really important. Believing a person is less intelligent than you is okay. Some people seem to go out of their way to prove that they're less intelligent. Believing, however, that a whole demographic are less intelligent than you, or that this somehow makes them less valid than you are, is where the danger starts. Intelligence doesn't necessarily translate as either academic or material success, and let's not get into the discussion of privilege providing opportunity, not because it isn't important, but it's just not what this po- this podcast is about. Maybe next time. It's also important to say that seeing another person's ongoing existence as not valid as yours is really not okay. I mean, I shouldn't have to say that, but you know, I'm happier that I do. So how does radicalization work? Well, a lot of the time the first event involves some kind of trauma. This could be physical trauma, such as being attacked by someone, or emotional trauma, such as being rejected by a desired romantic or sexual partner. Another caveat, if you're playing a drinking game, that's three in. I'm not an expert in trauma, and therefore do not want to suggest that any forms of trauma are more or less valid for any single person. That to generalize all forms of trauma are valid. How fortunately, I do have a friend, Jess, who goes by Angry Nerd Girl on Twitter, who knows a great deal more about trauma than I do, and she was happy to answer my questions. Say so that's the manifestation of trauma. Um I, I think one of the ways I've had it discussed with me, um, is it can either be acute, like it, it can be one massive event that happens in your life that suddenly you break, mm-hmm. or like a piling up of like minor events in your life until suddenly you break. Um, I realize that is very terrible language around
1: it. Just say break is a, is a word that I would not use, but yes, keep going. Okay,
0: thank you. Yes. Um, well, I, I, my next question was going to be how accurate is a perspective on trauma? Is that? And you've just said, Probably not a good one, Josh. Which
1: no, I think. I respect. Thank you. You're you're making good points there in that like. So okay, if you want to get into the dsm-5 definition of ptsd the first part and i just pulled it up on my phone uh because i i don't have it memorized (laughs) is uh exposure to actual or threatened death serious injury or sexual violence in one of or more of the following ways and it could be directly experiencing it witnessing it learning that it happened to a close family member um not like seeing somebody on tv or experience uh experiencing repeated or extreme trauma over time so to what you were saying that would be like you can get um symptoms of trauma or a traumatic experience or later on like a diagnosis of ptsd if you want to get into that could come from um like being sexually assaulted or it can come from growing up in an abusive house and constantly being like physically assaulted or emotionally abused. It might not be like, you know, one big act. It can just be lots of acts over time with the, the general idea of like you are in a place where you don't have agency and you don't feel safe. Like, someone has violated you. Or you witness someone being violated in a very extreme way. That's how, like, if you um, grow up and witness one parent abusing another parent, a lot of people um, experience trauma symptoms from that, even if they weren't the target of the abuse.
0: Hmm. This is also putting me in mind, potentially that say you know it could it could even just be someone who you, you've said lack like of agency where someone is just unable to potentially talk or communicate within a situation and they just keep getting shut down repeatedly mm-hmm. and that, that could be either by say authority figures or peers to the to the point where you don't believe you're able to make a difference in your own life anymore
1: yeah, and that might not get to, like, a clinical point of PTSD, but if you are getting, that can bring up a whole other host of, like, trauma-like symptoms. Like, you might start having nightmares or flashbacks related to that. Um, a lot of people, if it's not, like, my first thought when you said that was of a hostile work environment, right? Like, mm-hmm. if every time you bring up an idea, your boss kind of steps on you and doesn't let you talk, and demeans you and then your peers start demeaning you you kind of become the person that everybody in the office picks on you might start having nightmares about the office you don't want to go to the office you have a terrible time with your job you might get like panic attacks before you go to your job you might throw up when you think about going to your job um and that's <laughs> like your life wasn't in danger But you're experiencing some serious stress there and having traumatic, um, basically trauma symptoms. You're going through acute stressors and having uh, symptoms as a result. Getting into diagnosis, it can get weird. I'm trying to be really careful with my language uh, for licensing. it's
0: very good (laughs) I I think... A lot of people connect. sorry, I'm also just making, like, timestamp notes so I okay. know when something's being said so I can hopefully go through easier. Um, in a lot of ways, um, okay, I, I would have to say, like, I have felt that. Like, you know, that those moments where, like, a manager comes around the corner and you see, like, an angry face, and because you've been through, say, a series of episodes with that person where they've been upset with you, and you just immediately assume, "Oh oh, oh shit, am I in it again?" Mm-hmm. Um, that, resent- that That resounds with me, because that has happened with me at a, at a former workplace.
1: And sometimes it doesn't even have to be with the same person, and that's really when you get into um, what I would call a flashback. Um, This is, again, where I'm trying to be really careful with my language. Uh, But, yeah, you could experience a flashback. Like, if, let's say... So a flashback is basically, like, it's not like how it looks on TV where somebody suddenly visualizes that they're somewhere different and they don't know where they are. It can just be, let's say, um, you were a cashier at a gas station and you were brewing coffee and somebody came in and held you up right next time or some random time in the future, when you smell coffee, you might suddenly have a panic attack and drop what you're holding because you, that smell of coffee triggers that feeling of like, I'm about to be held up. So, In your situation, it might not be the same boss coming by. You might be at another job. You might be at a job 10 years later, but you see another boss coming by with an angry look, and you might feel like you did in your old job where you felt powerless, even if you have a great relationship with your current boss.
0: I think maybe to ask an indelicate question, is it a case of he might just be a dick? Absolutely. Yeah, like...
1: Yeah. Okay. Cool. That that was. (laughs) No, he absolutely could be. And when I first uh, read the scenario, my thought was like, "Oh, he's not used to people saying no to him. He's used to getting his way, kind of thing." And that, I mean, maybe he's not. Maybe that's not always the case. A lot of times, like I know we go, it goes further into radicalization, and a lot of people who get radicalized aren't getting their way. They're very lonely. They're very isolated. But the it just made me think like oh he he might just be kind of a jerk who you know doesn't hear no enough <laughs> or hasn't learned to cope with it when he does hear it.
0: Yeah, I I mean I and and this is I think where I where I have to be very. Ready to change my own understanding, I think, in a lot of things, or maybe not change my understanding, but refresh it. Um, Because I know that you know there is the old saying, you know, hurt people, hurt people. You know, not always. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That. Okay. Yeah. I like like any. um, A lot of times, hurt
1: people tend to get hurt again and again and again by other people.
0: By by the people who did the hurting in the first place. Yeah.
1: We're new people. Uh, Yes, it is an expression that hurt people hurt people. But that, I think that gives an excuse for a lot of um, unkind behavior. Like, just because you've been hurt and just because you're in a bad place doesn't make it okay for you to stomp on other people's boundaries or make their like, infringe upon their safety, make their life worse, just because your life is bad.
0: (laughs) For many of us, we deal with trauma largely by dealing with it. We put on some sad or angry music, we play a video game, read a book, go for a walk... We do something to get our heads out of it, and sometimes this works nice and soon, and other times it takes quite a while to work. Now, sometimes it doesn't work and people do get stuck there. There's a really cool saying from the industry I work adjacent to in Australia, which is the healthcare industry, which is that DNA loads the chamber, environment pulls the trigger. Specifically, we're talking about how bodies respond to things, like... um, certain toxins or things like certain foods, things like that. But there is something here we can use. We all have certain tendencies and preferences that seem pretty baked in, but where we put ourselves can influence how we react to other things. I also want to say that you may or may not have heard was just pretty well blowing my mind. I was ready to be told that trauma can indeed be a huge factor in someone turning into an abuser. I'm sure there are cases, um, but we all react. like I said, we all react to trauma in different ways. But what Jeff said needs to be taken with a great deal of seriousness. Being abused often leads to being abused even further. I'd recommend going and listening to almost any episode of Robert Evans's Behind the Bastard series, and you'll see environment having an immense impact on the social and moral development of any human. Another interesting thing to look at is Ginger Gorman's work, Troll Hunting. And uh, it's a really excellent work from an Australian journalist who looked into trolls probably way too much after being maligned and attacked online. I'm going to reference the book a few times through this series, and I'd heartily recommend it. It's really good. Her perspective shows that many trolls do indeed have trauma as their pathway into trolling activities. While we are not specifically discussing trolls in this podcast, trolling groups often engage in attacks that are racist, misogynist, homophobic, or objectionable in a lot of other ways, and so do fall under the purview of what we're looking at. Another potential pathway to radicalization can come from disaffectation and loneliness in general, and the impact of this is not something we can underestimate. I was joined by Connor, the healing DM, to discuss this. One of the most... Okay, to me, as someone with my education, which is, I understand how people can be made to do bad things... Or Mm join groups who do bad things. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm careful about using the T word because it technically has a lot of very interesting definitions, um, especially legal ones. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Disaffectation and disconnection with society is a major reason people join these groups. Mm -hmm. I, I thank you for not being surprised at all. It's like, no, Josh, this makes perfect sense. Um. Disaffectation though is different from trauma
2: mm-hmm although it can be connected to trauma yes it's it's different cool
0: if you had to dis- like provide some definitions or like, hey, this is signs of this um what would that look like um so I realize that's a very broad would- question again, I'm very sorry
2: so. We're talking about um, di- uh, disaffection, uh, disaffectation, mm. um, and just being dissatisfied with, with certain individuals um, who are driving one's culture or society um, and and feeling like you don't agree with them. Um, that, uh, that's something. I want to say that is not an uncommon thing. Uh, It's something that I would say is a part of the human experience. And all of us feel it to some degree. I think every single person could point to things in their society, in their culture, in their immediate social group that they have problems with. Or point to, to figures uh, of authority or power and say, those people are doing things that I don't agree with or I don't like. Um, and I'm happy that that's the case. Because if we blindly accepted people who were in power, it could potentially lead to some terrible things societally. Right, um, our, our history is rife with, with examples yeah. of cultures and societies that blindly went along with figures of authority and terrible things were done as a result. Um, but this is different from somebody who removes himself from society, right? And this is something that could be spurred on by traumas um, and, and often could be But this is the person who says the wider society does not have a place for me in it anymore. Um, this is a person who might feel low levels of connection with other people around them, people in the workplace, people, um, in, uh, their age group or in their community. Um, they say, these people don't get me. We don't share the same values. We're simply too different. When they look at the world, they don't see the same things as I do. But instead of attempting to maintain the connection because there are things that they find, uh, that there are things in the group that they continue to identify with, they simply remove themselves and find other people Hmm. with similar worldviews. With some exceptions the vast, vast, vast majority of people, our, our life is a search for connection. That is that is one of the key driving forces and one of the key things to provide meaning to all of us. Finding our people, finding who we belong with. As as, as a, a gamer, um, uh, that's something I think that especially resonates with us. mm we are um we're looking for shared experiences and shared um activities and shared belief structures and and that leads us to find and create our own communities um but for some people those views are can be extreme and they can be steeped in hate um when, when we're talking about extremist groups, when we're talking about supremacist groups, we're talking about groups of people that for some reason or another feel like wider society has no place for them. They don't share any common values. But look at these people over here. They're actually accepting me. They're saying I have value because I'm the right skin color or I'm the right religion or I'm the right gender these people will take me. And um, and you know what? I might have to change the way I look at some other things in my life, but at least I'm accepted. Mm. And that's how that's how a person becomes more extremist in their views. They find a group of people that are willing to accept them, where they feel that connectedness that every person craves. And just like the rest of us, when you find that group your beliefs begin to shift. Yeah. They begin to change. Uh, and not always for the better, but, but that's what happens to all of us. It's a, it is a typical human response. The, the goal for all of us um, in wider society is to create a wider society where they do not feel like they don't have a place in it anymore.
0: Hmm.
2: I um, you know so that even if they don't agree with everything that's going on, they still want to be a part of what's going on.
0: The pathway to radicalization is different for every person and every path is very different. In some, it can take a long road over a period of months, even years. For some, it can take place almost overnight. A lot of the time, this radicalization kind of happens very similar to mountain climbing. Someone will go in, have a small amount, come back to normal. But it's that acclimatization to a different environment that seems to be a large, really, really common theme within a lot of people's journeys into radicalization, Outside of the timing, though, much of what happens is also really down to when things happen in someone's life. Different circumstances make us far more amenable, not so much to fully embracing radicalism, but certainly can lead us to taking that first step, and when that first step has been taken, second, the third, and so on. Like I mentioned before with a mountaineering thing. Much of the study I undertook uh, with regards to radicalization... Well, it was from the perspective of why do people join terrorist groups? And at the time, the primary groups were so-called Islamic terrorist groups. Now, I want to say that uh, right now that I use the term so-called because these groups do not represent Islam in the same way many evangelicals don't represent Christianity. So much of the time, the reason someone decided that that day was the day that they joined was potentially due to a violent loss of a family member, but it could also be looking at a few too many Western oligarchs carving up your country to drain it of all commodities. It could potentially be that walking around in your city are a bunch of uniformed and very heavily armed foreigners, and they're harassing your people, committing dawn raids, and generally making life less enjoyable, that no matter how many human rights violations these guys seem to commit, they never get punished. It can also be a combination of these things that could push someone into radical movements. As a side note here, Kilcullen's recommendations in his book, The Accidental Gorilla, are all about the necessity of large-scale accountability and community support and engagement. I don't want to get too lost in the weeds at this point, but I think it's you know funny that building meaningful connections with people does a lot to assist them in A, them wanting to work with you, and B, them not joining death cults. Funny that. In far more common use now, as far as like, you know, pathways to radicalization go, we, we more see message boards, social media, podcasts, and YouTube. Now, I, I kinda of have to maybe be a little frustrating here and state something really horrible. The fastest growing category of groups that right now are being more and more closely watched by law enforcement groups like the FBI, ASIO, are the far-right or alt-right groups, and the people they predominantly target for recruitment are cis, white, hetero guys who have been made to feel inadequate or marginalized, lonely, failures, and generally like they have nothing to really live for. Now, we're not going to dive too deeply into these groups because, A, I don't think publicizing their beliefs any further is necessary. There are a lot of studies that look at the effects of de-platforming or just making certain information harder to find makes these groups, it, it makes it harder for them to recruit. This is true and you've kind of got to also then look into the toothpaste effect, um, which we might look at later. No promises, but maybe if you're good. And also, you know, I'm, it's not really what I want to get into. Now, a lot of these groups make use of meme humor as a way to both get a reaction to divide communities by causing offence. My friend Peter, who goes by roll for kindness on Twitter, had a pretty good chat about mean humour. What well, one thing that I, I think all of us would agree on is the internet is very mean. Um, overly so. And... One thing that worries me is the impact of harmful meme culture Um, and and what this does to, and and I'm going to say this as, you know, a a hetero cis white male, um, how damaging this is to cis hetero white males and and how corrupting or how this kind of leads us down a very bad way. Yeah,
3: so I I think ultimately when you're talking about kind of meme culture, uh, you you end up in this space where memes become a vessel for normalizing and paving the the sort of groundwork for radicalization, and to to, to say that this is you know, an internet thing exclusively is flat out wrong. I l- look at South park, look at family guy, you know, these things are full of, you know, just really nasty stereotypes. And it is just something that, you know, is completely normal for a 15 year old boy to be watching and totally thinking that's normal and making those jokes as normal, which does become, kind of fertile fertilizer for more kind of radical beliefs, not because of anything inherent in it, but as kind of a reactionary force when presented with someone something else. So, uh, you know, there, there's this excellent video called radicalizing a normie. um, And I, I highly recommend that everyone watch it and in it, it kind of points out that a way that a lot of alt-right people will infiltrate online communities is they'll start posting all these racist memes and then, uh, people will be laughing and then someone will say, Hey, this is kind of offensive. And then the sort of alt-right plant is like, no, dude, this isn't offensive. We're just making jokes. Why can't you take a joke? Why are you being so politically correct? And then, you know, all these kind of young white dudes that want to be politically incorrect because that's cool, um, they kind of hop on the bandwagon and be like, yeah, can't you take a joke? This is funny because it's offensive. And that just sort of starts paving the way because once you're willing to laugh at something, that means you've already started entertaining that idea.
0: Yeah. um, Yeah, laughter is a weird one. Um, and I say this as someone who works professionally in sales, um, it is often said that laughter is the, is the fastest connector or sorry, the, the, the most direct bridge between two people. If you can make someone laugh, you, you are in their good books immediately. And Mm -hmm. so I, I think that, um, humor is very awesome because it's such a great social lubricator. Uh, but at the same time, I, I'm very well aware that it's it's also one has to be very careful with what one's laughing at. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, no, I, I, I think on the internet, because you're so isolated, you know, n- no one sees that you're laughing. No one sees that you're sharing this stuff. So it becomes a very kind of safe place for people who may have struggled um, socially to be able to, to share things that are making other people laugh. You know, I, I recently had a, a conversation with uh, a young man who was making these ridiculous rap videos and he, um, he was uh, he watched a lot of Family Guy and you know loved all the racist jokes in it, and he started incorporating them into his his uh, songs. And then he gradually noticed certain trends in his audience, and he eventually said, "You know, I I don't want these people following me. They're they're racists, and I don't want to make racist jokes anymore because." I don't want racists to follow me, and I I applauded him because uh, it's like that's that's awesome that you've come to come to this realization on your own. But um, I think for a lot of people, you know, they're they're struggling with isolation. They just want to make people laugh. You know, low hanging fruit offensive jokes. Those are a great way to to you know make people laugh uh, for a lot of people, or at least that's how they perceive it. Um, so I, I think it can come from an innocent enough place, but when you kind of normalize that, it can start leading to some really kind of nasty
0: places. We're going to come back to mean humor and its impact later. I promise. There are aspects of this that mirror the previous aspects of the studies I mentioned, You inform someone that they're special and others are not. You tell them that enjoying materials that target minorities, it's fine. Some people are just too sensitive. There's nothing wrong with this. This is locker room talk. Causing division, though, is kind of like the golden ticket. It's what they're after. These divisions are not just a frustrating social event. They can have real-world consequences. And there are groups that realize that to divide and alienate is how they can flourish. Connor and I had a talk about this also. They either find the groups or the groups find them. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is more terrifying.
2: Cue the internet. Exactly. (laughs) What a... (laughs) (laughs) Cue cue, (laughs) cue the internet. the, The marketplace of ideas where every idea has a space. And there are no ideas... There are no ideas that are so terrible that they can't find a home here on the internet, mm. and um, and I think I think that's where we run into the most the most problems. I, ideas ideas are living things. They live in each of our brains. They're parts of our neurological makeup. They literally are living things, and they can move from one person to another, and they can become a part of that person. Um, and when we have pre-internet, it was far harder to create extremist groups because if you had those ideas and you actually mentioned them out loud, the vast majority of the people around you would smack you back down, right? Uh, They would say that is not a decent or reasonable thing to believe, stop it. And then you would have multiple people... Stepping in um, to 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 squash that idea. Now you can have such an idea, go to the internet and throw it out there. Find other people who have that similar idea, but maybe geographically removed from you, or or um, or as far as relationships, far removed from you, and and now you've got multiple people, mm. and and that gets back to now you have acceptance, and then your beliefs begin to shift as a result of the new group that you're in, you've created a new group where it wasn't possible for one to exist before. And that's why in so, in so many ways you're beginning to see these groups pop up, um, across the internet with just wild beliefs, you know, that, that most of us would look at and be like, that's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. But because, uh, Individuals are able to find other individuals who share, or uh, not only the same belief, but maybe similar beliefs. Then they create their own subculture, mm. and then you, and then you get pockets.
0: Yeah, part of me is very impressed with the fact that you said "cue the internet" because it could be read as "cue" or the letter "Q." Which oh, is... oh mm,
2: totally unintentional, <laughs> but but uh, hey, but unintentional is certainly...
0: genius is still genius. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah I mean, but but I mean, it's a good example. It's not the only example, but it is a good example mm. of these sorts of beliefs where if you you find a few people that might be removed, um, and then they find they share these beliefs, and then they create a culture and they accept other people in, and that idea grows and grows and grows. So where
0: does this leave us? To bring us back to the start, we need to have a chat about Robbie and the encounter. Let's assume the session zero was done correctly and everyone was happy. We're going to cover this a lot more, but let's just say that consent tools, safety tools, session zeros, these are all really important, and if you're not doing it at your table, just think about it. I mean, look, here's the thing. If you all know each other really well inside and out, you already have unspoken, implicit social contracts. But if you don't have those, they're actually a really easy way of just helping people navigate a complex social situation. What we're going to look at there also is something far deeper. Did Robbie have a bad day, a bad week, or just a tough life in general? How forgiving can we be? How forgiving should we be? I want to go back to what Jess and I spoke about. People don't just turn bad because of trauma. There are also a lot of environmental and other aspects we need to try and understand if what we want to do is examine why a person goes this way. But we do need to do so with the safety of others in mind. I want to end on a positive note. Something for us all to think about. All of us come to the table seeking fun Good times, and the ability to put aside worries about rent, taxes, work, school, etc. We need to make sure we provide this wonderful, safe environment as much as we can. This doesn't say we don't have a challenging time, it doesn't say there's no room at the table for thrills and spills and total party kills. But, and as much as I've spoken about how being lonely, isolated, disenfranchised, or completely lacking in agency, the opposites to these how we stay in good places. Having people around us that help us laugh at things, give our hearts and minds somewhere to blow off steam, or just not focus on our troubles while in the company of people we love, isn't just, that's not a hobby. Maybe it never was. Investing your time into friendships that build you and those in that group, that's a community. So let's build a good one, together. name's josh and on twitter i go by nerdy people and d you can catch me there and uh, listen to the um, other podcast stuff that i do uh, an actual play with coast of strad but he's a railway baron and better homes and dungeons which i've neglected for the last couple of months to work on this um please take care of yourself uh, and those around you thank you